Last week, we discussed that uh, one of the most popular movies around Christmas is the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And one of the most enjoyable scenes in the entire movie comes at the very end after George Bailey gets a glimpse of what life would be like without him. Check out this familiar clip. to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... gift, wasn't he? He was given the gift of being able to see what life would have been like without him. And what he found was that he was wrong. He thought it would have been much better off without him, but what he found was life would have been much worse. And seeing all that he had done and all the lives that George had impacted, it resulted in him truly being thankful for the decisions that he had made and for the life that he had lived. As I discussed last week, we're doing something very unique for Christmas in that we're taking this theme of It's a Wonderful Life and we're applying it to Christ. We're looking at what the world would look like had Jesus never been born. And uh, last week we, we talked about how Christ has made an impact in our world for good when it comes to uh, education, the value of human life, mercy and compassion, and ethics and morality, and, and this morning we are going to continue by discussing several more issues. And in a similar way to the movie, this is what I hope happens. I truly hope that as you see all that Christ has done for us as a society and for us as individuals, that what would result is for you to truly be grateful for the life that he lived. And in response, I, I hope that you would just worship him for all he is for all he's done, okay? 
So let's go ahead and get started. And uh, this morning we're going to begin by discussing at what our country would look like had Jesus never been born. Here's the critique of Christianity when it comes to, to our country and the founding of our, of our country. Many today criticize Christians for saying that our country was, was founded as a Christian nation. And, uh, and, and they argue that our founding fathers wanted a purely non-spiritual and secular country. Uh, check out this quote from Ann Gaylor. She's the president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. She says America has never been a Christian nation. Well, let's see if she's right. Let's look first at the founding of America without Christ. And this will be real brief because simply put, what we're going to find in this section is we would not have the nation we have today and we would not be governed the way we are today were it not for Christianity. Let me show you why. Let's look at the founding of our country with Christ. If you were, um, if I were to ask you who made the, the biggest contribution to the founding of our country, who would be on your list? Just think of them to yourself. I'm sure many names would come to mind, wouldn't they? But how many of you would have John Calvin on your list? Did you know that many historians believe that Calvin has made the greatest, certainly not the sole, but the greatest contribution to our country when it comes to liberty, government, economics, and education? Though he was just a humble reformer from Geneva, Switzerland, his principles taken from the very Word of God that he taught on and preached on are considered to be the same principles that have made our country great. Just listen to a few of these historians here. German historian Leopold von Ranke said, John Calvin was virtually the founder of America. French historian Hippolyte Taine said these Calvinists are the true heroes of, of England. They founded Scotland, and they founded the United States. And, and well-known historian from the U.S., George Bancroft, who wrote a 10-volume history of the United States, you know what he called Calvin? The father of America. And he said this, He who will not honor the memory and respect the influence of Calvin knows but little of the origin of American liberty. It's estimated that at the time of the Revolution... There were three million people living in the American colonies. And of these three million people, 900,000 of them were Scots or Scots-Irish, who were the founders of the American Presbyterian Church. 600,000 were Puritan English, and 400,000 were German or Dutch Reformed. And all of these groups had their roots in the Reformed Church, which claimed Calvin as its founder. So were it not for Calvin, we would not have these groups the way they were during the time of the Revolution. And were it not for Calvin, especially, were it not for these groups, especially for the Presbyterians, the Revolution would not have happened the way that it did. Because these groups were not only formed because of Calvin, but they shared the same convictions that, that Calvin taught on. And uh, because of Calvin's teaching and his doctrine, especially the Presbyterians, they were very outspoken against oppressive and monarchical government, which is why the Presbyterians were the first religious group to openly and publicly declare separation from England in 1775. 
And also, in the revolution of 1776, the, the Presbyterians played a key role in that revolution. And so much so that, that the, the revolution was actually referred to by the English as the Presbyterian Rebellion. Did y'all know that? One passionate supporter of King George III said this, I fix all of the blame for these extraordinary proceedings upon the Presbyterians. And this only scratches the surface of our country's Christian heritage. We don't even have time to get into discussing all of our founding fathers and how they and members of Congress have been greatly influenced by the Christian faith. Uh, but, our, but our men's Tuesday morning Bible study, they recently hosted a Wednesday night equipping class talking about this very issue, talking about this subject, and, and they showed America's Godly Heritage by David Barton, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it. It's, it's fascinating. But uh, um, just, just listen to this statement made by Patriot Patrick Henry, which I know Casey Beach has shared with us once before. He said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also consider the slogan adopted by many of the, the, uh, the supporters of the American Revolution. They said, no king, but King Jesus. So were it not for Christ, we would not have the great nation as we have it today and would not be governed the way that we are. Let's look at modern science. Where would we be in the area of science were it not for Christ? Now, the critique of Christianity is this. Many believe that you cannot be a person of faith and a person of science. Many believe and teach the two are incompatible. Remember I said last week, a lot of people, they put you into one of two categories. You're either a superstitious religionist or you're a rational secularist, but you're never both. Many also believe and teach that as one's knowledge of science and of the, national, of the natural world, as that increases, what naturally occurs is the erosion of your faith and the erosion of religion. Listen to this, uh, listen to this statement made by biologist P.Z. Myers from the University of Minnesota. What you have to do is get, get it to a place where religion is treated at the level it should be treated. That is something fun that people get together and do on the weekend and really doesn't affect their life as much as it has been so far. Greater science literacy, which is going to lead to the erosion of religion, and then we'll get this nice positive feedback mechanism going, whereas religion slowly fades away, we get more and more science to replace it, and that will displace more and more religion, which will allow more and more science in, and we'll eventually get to that point where religion has taken that appropriate place as, as a side dish rather than the main course. And he used the word religion there generally, but, but I guarantee you, having read some more, of his, uh, some more of his writings, he would include, you know, in that belief in God and, and Christianity. So he's basically saying, as, as, as knowledge of the natural world increases, what should result is the erosion of belief in God and, and being a person of, of faith. Well, let's, let's look briefly at modern science without Christ. Let's see what that would look like. John Calvin, bringing him up again, he, he was an influential character in, in history. 
he once said that, that the Bible, he compared the Bible, God's special revelation to, to glasses that we must put on if we're to see and understand our natural world in the proper way. But unfortunately, many today, many scientists today have thrown these glasses away. And they have chosen to try to understand our world by removing the existence of a personal God. But though many modern scientists, they have reasoned in this way, did you know that were it not for Jesus, modern science as we know it would not be? Let's look at modern science with Christ. Scripture is clear, isn't it? That understanding our world doesn't lessen our belief in God, does it? It affirms and it strengthens it. Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20. God's invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have what? That have been made. And many of our great pioneers of science, they knew and they affirmed this in their findings. And we're going to talk about them in a minute, but before we do, let's talk about the origins of modern science real quick. Don't get worried. I'm not going to camp out here long. I can see some people's eyes glazing over Although science, it, it began 600 years before Christ with the Greek philosophers, what these Greek philosophers sought to do is not to make any changes in our natural world. What they wanted to do is just understand our world. So, so their philosophy was basically, this world doesn't need to be used or changed. It just meant, it, it's just meant to be understood. And it was not until the time of the Reformation, once again, you see the influence of the Protestant Reformation how, how big it was in our world. It was not until this time that Christians took the observations of these Greek philosophers and began to apply it to our world and make changes in our natural world, which is the birth of modern science. So really, the source of modern science is a combination of Greek thinking and the Reformed Christian faith. Let's look at some of the great pioneers of science. Some of the greatest pioneers of science were committed Christians who believed in a rational world, in a rational God who created a rational world. Guys like Johann Kepler, he coined the phrase, thinking God's thoughts after him. And basically what he meant by this is when scientists are engaged in the study of nature, basically what they're studying are the laws that God has already put into place. You also have... Blaise Pascal, who tells us, faith what senses cannot, but it is not contrary to their findings. Listen to what Isaac Newton said. This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. So despite what P.Z. Myers says, these brilliant men... Their, their belief in God did not erode away as they became more knowledgeable about our natural world, but their faith in God was increased. Look at this list of scientists, this long list of Bible-believing scientists 
who have founded the following branches of science. I'm just going to name a few of them here. You have bacteriology, Louis Pasteur, calculus, Isaac Newton, uh, celestial mechanics, Johann Kepler, hydrostatistics, Blaise Pascal, but the list goes on and on. So were it not for Christ, modern science as we know it would not be. We're about in the area of health and medicine. Here's the critique of Christianity when it comes to health and medicine. Many have argued that Christians have done more to hurt people than they have to help them. Atheists like Bertrand Russell say that the only contributions that Christians have made to humanity is human misery. This is what he said of Christianity. These views of traditional Christianity promote insanity, disease, and cruelty. Let's look and see if he's right. Let's look at health and medicine without Christ. What you're going to find, without Christ, there will be fewer hospitals, not many, if any, facilities that care for all people. Medicine would not be as widespread. There'd be more deadly diseases. And health care, as we know it, would be lacking a key component, which is compassion. Now let me show you why that's the case by looking at health and medicine with Christ. Christ came to heal the sick, didn't he? He healed the spiritually sick, more important, but he also healed those who were physically sick. And he told his followers to do the same thing, didn't he? Luke 10, 8 and 9. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and in it say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And over the past 2,000 years, millions of Christians have gone and they've done likewise. We see this in the development of hospitals. Prior to the influence of Christ, there were some select places where people could go and be cared for, certain people. Like in ancient Rome, you had uh, the, the, they, they set up military hospitals. But it, was, it did not provide care for everyone. It was just for those soldiers who had been wounded in battle. It was not until the, the, the influence of Christianity that hospitals began to care for all people. In the 4th century, a key event took place. There was a key church council that met that was called the Council of Nicaea. And this council determined that wherever a church was established, there was to be a hospital that was to be in close proximity. And we see this trend continuing, don't we? Throughout history, where the Christians go and where they go to minister, you see health care and you see hospitals established. In the U.S., before hospitals... Christians started what were known as almshouses, which were refuge centers for the poor and the sick. And later, some of the first hospitals were started in large part by Christians. One of these was the Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia in 1751. And, and today, the influence of Christianity on our, on our hospitals, it's obvious, isn't it? Let's look at these names. Methodist Hospital. Baptist Health Hospital, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Is it not obvious? The influence of Christianity when it comes to our hospitals just in these names. What about with nursing? I don't think any of you would disagree with me when I say that nursing is an essential part 
of, of uh, health care today, isn't it? Did you know that, that Christianity has served to give rise to uh, nursing care? You have Christian nurse Florence Nightingale. She's considered to be the, the founder of modern nursing. And her influence came from a Lutheran pastor named Theodore Fliedner who founded the first nursing school. And she went from there and followed in her mentor's footsteps. And when she got to London, she started her own school of nursing. And this, this starting of this school was said to be the beginning of modern nursing. Also, without Christianity, we would be without this man. Anybody know who this man is? This is Henry Dunnett. He was a Swiss banker and humanitarian and devout Christian who started this organization, the Red Cross. I don't think I have to tell you or stress to you how important the Red Cross has been in our world. This organization has served to save the lives of millions. So without these, without Christianity, we would be without these incredible individuals and their organization. We would be without Louis Pasteur. In the area of medicine, we live with the positive effects of his work to this day. His research into bacteriology gave rise to sterilization and the development of vaccines which have prevented many deadly diseases, including rabies, diphtheria, and anthrax. And not only was he a brilliant scientist, he was a devout Christian. Listen to what his biographer said about him. Absolute faith in God and in eternity were feelings which pervaded his whole life. What about with the modern mission movement? How they impacted health and medicine pretty, pretty, in a pretty big way, pretty significant way, haven't they? They have improved, this movement has improved health of people, groups around the world. Today we have tens and thousands of Christians providing medical care for millions of people in the third world. And they're also establishing hospitals all around the world, even in the most remote jungles, are hospitals that are being set up with Christian nurses and Christian doctors who are providing care for lepers and for the deaf and for the poor and for the crippled of every kind. So were it not for Christ, health and medicine as we know it would not be. Now with all those issues, of all the issues we've discussed, over the past few weeks, none are more important than this last one. While the others deal with our country and, and culture and our world as a whole, this one deals with us as individuals. If Jesus had never been born, what would that mean for us as people? What would that mean for us as people? Let's talk about... Uh, the critique of Christianity first when it comes to the improvement of human life. Many today believe and teach that what's truly life-changing and what's truly liberating is coming to the realization, the understanding that God doesn't exist and that there's no need for Christ. Some, like I said last week, believe Life would be better off were Christ out of the picture. Remember I shared with you uh, uh, atheist uh, Friedrich Nietzsche who compared Christianity to a poison that's infected the whole world. 
He thought life would be better off without Christianity. Well, let's see. Let's look if there's any improvement in human life without Christ. In the 19th century, a prominent atheist by the name of Charles Bradlaugh, he, he challenged a devout Christian named Hugh Price Hughes to a debate over the existence of God. And Hughes told Bradlaugh, he said, I'll agree to debate with you on one condition. He said, I propose that each of us bring evidence of our beliefs in the form of men and women whose lives have been changed because of our belief system. He said, you bring a hundred such men and women, and I'll bring a hundred such men and women. And then Hughes came back and said, okay, if you can't find a hundred, I'll let you bring fifty. Then he came back again and he said, if you can't find fifty, I'll let you bring twenty. And he finally whittled that number down. Bring one person. Just one person whose life has been improved by your atheistic belief system and we'll have our debate. And Bradlaugh withdrew. And I believe if this debate were offered today, it would have similar results. Just listen to this clip. Watch this clip of atheist Dr. William Provine who's a professor of the history of biology at Cornell University. In this clip, he is going to share with you the consequences of evolution in an atheistic belief system. But it starts by giving up an active deity. Then it gives up the hope that there's any life after death. When you give those two up, the rest of it follows fairly easily. You give up the hope that there's a, an imminent morality and finally, there's no human free will. If you believe in evolution, you can't hope for there being any free will. There's no hope whatsoever of there being any deep meaning in human life. We live, we die, and we're gone. We're absolutely gone when we die. It's pretty dim, isn't it? This is what results when the glasses are thrown away. When God is removed from the explanation of our world. He says if evolution is true, and he believes that it is, and if there is no God, did you notice he kept using no hope? No hope. No hope. He says that over and over again. And then he says... If, if God doesn't exist, there's no deep meaning in human life. We live, we die, and we're gone. We're absolutely gone when we die. You know who else said this in a similar way? Paul did in the Scriptures. If all we have is hope in this life only, we are to be pitied. Let's talk about the improvement of human life with Christ. Because of the work of Christ, there have been countless numbers of lives that have been changed for the better. And we're just going to look at a, a few of them briefly before we close. First, let's look at transformed lives from the Scripture. From the Scriptures. First, there's Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? We learned the cutesy little song about him growing up. But one thing we learned from the scriptures about Zacchaeus is he was a pretty despicable guy. He was a dishonest and greedy tax collector. But after encountering Christ 
His life drastically changes, and he becomes a generous man. Talked about Mary Magdalene last week. Remember her? Told from Scripture she had a questionable reputation and was demon-possessed. But when she encountered Christ, her life changed. Christ took her in. She became a part of his ministry. And she was, in fact, the first person to see him after his resurrection. You have the Apostle Paul, probably the most well-known, right? Paul was adamantly opposed to the Christian faith, and he made it his business to seek out followers of Christ and arrest them. And we're also told that he was an accomplice in the murder of Stephen. Stephen, whom we're told from the Scriptures, face shone like that of an angel, who was a saint. And Paul sat there, nodding in approval as they stoned him to death. Paul was an enemy of the cross of Christ. But after he encountered Christ, everything changed, didn't it? When he encountered Christ, he went from being an enemy of the cross to the cross's greatest supporter. And he went on to make the biggest impact for him in all of history. And you know what? The, the story of Christ changing lives doesn't stop at the end of Scripture, does it? It goes far beyond the pages of Scripture. We have guys like Augustine, Augustine was a brilliant philosopher, but was also a very critical of the Christian faith. He was not only a skeptic, but he was as immoral as anyone you can imagine, sexually and other ways. It's said that he and his friends, they used to go to the marketplace, and they would just steal from the marketplace, not because they were in need or because they were hungry, but just to do it, just for the rush. And he said of himself, the evil in me was foul, but I loved it. You know what? Augustine had a faithful Christian mother who prayed for him. Day after day after day, she prayed and she, prayed and she pleaded to God that God would save her son. You know what? God got a hold of Augustine's life. And he not only became one of the most gifted theologians in his day, he is one of the most gifted theologians in all of history. There's also John Newton. John Newton, before salvation and before writing one of the most famous hymns ever, he was a slave trader. It was said of him his livelihood was earned on a ship that traded human cargo. Newton was also as immoral as any you can imagine. He said of, of himself, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and to seduce others. One day out on sea, a violent storm at sea, Newton pleads for his life, and God spares him, and that begins to, to start the, the transformation in his life, and he, had, he eventually gave his life to the Lord. And he became a pastor. And you know who, who was uh, one of the members of his congregation? Remember when we talked about William Wilberforce last week? How ironic is that? A slave trader who's a pastor and one of the members of his church was responsible for ending the British slave trade. And because of his efforts, 700,000 British slaves were set free. Wow. Only God could orchestrate that story, couldn't he? Newton was transformed 
by the grace of God. Not only did he write Amazing Grace, he knew firsthand what God's Amazing Grace was all about. C.S. Lewis. Early in life, after the death of his mother, C.S. Lewis became an atheist. However, as he began to read from Christian authors like George MacDonald and G.K. Chesterton and, and due to the influence of Christians in his life like J.R. Tolkien and others, Lewis eventually surrendered his life to the Lord and has become one of, one of the most significant Christian writers in all of history. His work, his classic, Mere Christianity, is still being used to this day by apologists to, offend, to defend the Christian faith. How ironic is that? An atheist who ends up writing a book that's so significant that people still use it to this day to defend the Christian faith. And to this day, human lives are being transformed by the grace of God. This room is filled with incredible stories about how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. Though many have tried to take Christianity to task on a number of issues, life change is tough to dispute, isn't it? They find it difficult to explain how murderers become men of God, how wicked slave traders become worshipful songwriters, how good-for-nothing thieves become gifted theologians, and how atheists become apologists. But we know, don't we? It's right here in God's Word. It happens through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So without Christ, lives would remain unchanged. Let me end by saying this. Without Christ, hope is lost. Not just when it comes to the value of human life, mercy and compassion, education, ethics and morality, government, science, health and medicine, but most importantly because without Christ, lives would remain unchanged. Because without Christ, there would be no chance of being made right with God and being transformed by His grace. Had God not sent His Son, and had Christ not willingly emptied of Himself, taking on flesh and dwelling among us, and had He not been obedient to the point of a painful death on a shameful cross, we would all be dead in our sins waiting to stand judgment before a holy and just God. But here's the good news. Many of you know it already, right? Christ did come. And He came to save sinners. And the changing power of God through Jesus Christ that's been transforming lives throughout history is the same transforming power that's available to anyone today who will turn from their sins and make Christ the Lord of their life. If you've never made this decision for Christ, I pray that today would be the day that you come to the end of yourself, turn from your sins, and make Christ Lord. Would you pray with me?
Father, we praise you for your great love and mercy. Father, we praise you for the fact that you have sent Christ even though we don't deserve it, even though we all like sheep have turned away and have turned everyone to his own way, you have sent Christ to be what we can never be, to live the perfect life that we can never live and to, to, to give his life as our substitute and perfect sacrifice so that we could be made right with you. Father, I pray if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you as Lord, I pray that today is the day. I pray today be the day they change their allegiance and make you Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.